This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Pastor Ron asked me to teach on baptism. It's one of my favorite things ever. Uh, Pastor Susan talked about her being baptized. I was baptized right here. Uh, If you don't know, I'm standing on top of the baptismal right now. There is a tank. There's a cutout over here. and There's there's actually a tank under here. And um, when my wife and I got baptized, this is decades ago now, I started coming here in 1989, which is... I used to have hair. It was, oh, it was totally different. Um, and, uh, uh, but they didn't, have a, uh, they didn't have the heater. So at least you guys have the heater now. So it wasn't quite the mountain stream. It was more like hose water uh, directly in there, about 50 degrees. So back then when Pastor Ron would say, you know, uh, are you, you know have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You'd say yes. And then he'd say, do you have anything you'd like to share? They'd be like, mm, yeah, no. No, no, we'd like to get out of the cold water. So, uh, so lots of, so we went through, got a lot of people baptized. It was really cool. I will tell you this, that uh, one of the reasons why I'm excited about it is for exactly what Pastor Susan said, is that it was life-changing for me because someone had challenged me. I don't even remember who it was. Uh, it might have been uh, Pastor John Donello had said, see this as a day that you drive a stake in the ground. See, this is a day that you drive a stake in the ground, and your past is that way. And if Satan ever tries to come forward and try to drag you back, you say, you remember today. You remember today and move forward. And it was really freeing for me. Uh, and so I'm really excited to talk about it. Now, here's the, th- here's the interesting thing, though. Uh, it was decades, not even just years. It was decades ago that I got, that I got baptized. Um, and so maybe you're here today. Uh, maybe you're here and you haven't even been born again. Maybe you just kind of came in because you... Smelled coffee or something, uh, which is fine. Uh, but maybe you're here and you've been born again. You've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you haven't been baptized yet. So I want to encourage you that today, listen, because today's message is for you. Maybe you've been here and you're more like me, right? You've been, you, you, you've been born again maybe for a long time. Uh, you got baptized a long time ago. And you're like, okay, what is this? So today's message is for you because I want, I want us to think about what we can do to look back at the faithfulness of God in our life as relates to baptism. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three areas. I'll tell you what what we're doing. We're going to talk about three areas. We're going to talk about the significance of baptism. We're going to talk about our attitude towards baptism. And we're going to talk about the inheritance of baptism, what we gain because of it. So very first thing, the significance of baptism. So in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So it says here, um, the foundation of Christianity is repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Baptisms, plural, baptism of the Holy Spirit, Baptism in water, this is talking about baptism in water, right? Water baptism today. Laying out of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Those six things wind up being foundational Christianity. So if we don't have a real good grasp on foundational Christianity, we run a risk of of saying we're Christian but living like we're not. This is what I mean by that. For example, in the area of of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. If you uh, have a wrong view of either yourself or you have a wrong view of how God sees you or God himself, one of those three areas, then we run the risk of saying, saying, well, then I'm made right by God, with God, by what I do rather than what he has done. 
And when I start to think that, I have a performance mentality. And even though I'm a Christian, I go through life thinking, God's not going to answer my prayers unless I've been doing really well. Or uh, I need to get better. And we always start to think about those things and we forget about the idea of grace. And so you see how this is important. So when we understand the idea of baptism, we need to understand exactly what is happening there and the inheritance of it and the significance of it. And the reason for that is because if we don't get it right, then we have a, there's an opening for either myself or the enemy of my soul to come in and start to whisper into my mind that God is not true with what he says. And this is really about the promises of God is what baptism is about. Then he says this, and I want to make sure we're clear on this too, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is Paul speaking, uh, writing to the Corinthians, and he says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual drink, all drank the same, uh, ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. There's an awful lot of stuff there. What's happening in 1 Corinthians 10 is at the very start of a chapter where, where, uh, of, of a section of, of this letter to the Corinthians where Paul is now going to be talking about two really interesting things. He's going to talk about spiritual warfare and temptation. Now, Paul, right after this, this is a kind of uh, a well-known verse right after this. It says, no temptation has come upon you except which is common to man. But God is faithful in that, he's able, that, that he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. He also talks about the, that, that Jesus Christ came to give us life and life abundantly, but that Satan came uh, to steal, kill, and destroy. So it's really a chapter or really a section of that, of that a letter that's talking about spiritual warfare and temptation. And yet Paul chooses to start by, t- by referencing the Old Testament by referencing the, the exodus of the Jewish people from the nation of Israel. And because what he does is he says they passed under the same cloud and in the sea, and they were baptized in Moses in the cloud and the sea. And then he talks about the manna and, uh, and, and the rock that follows. A, a lot of great stuff you can read there. And so he references baptism. Now, why do you think he does that? Why do you think he references baptism when he's actually going to start to talk about spiritual warfare and temptation? And the reason why he does that is to remind his readers that God has been faithful in the past. Right? The song that we sang, the second song we sang, right? Great, great song, right? So I say to my heart to remember that if God speaks a word, he will, it will come to pass. Right? That his faithfulness is the thing that we need to remember. And so that's the reason why he does that. And so since he did that, we're going to talk about baptism. And what I want us to to recall is that what's happening here is is when when we're baptized or when we were baptized, we made a claim on God's faithfulness. So we're going to go back. And I don't have, Pastor Ron's got all these brown bags. I don't have any brown paper bags. uh, But I have have PowerPoint slides. Right? (laughs) Because... Because I'm a nerd, and I've come to accept it in my life that I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd. But I have PowerPoint slides to explain uh, Exodus. And I think there's some really cool stuff that we'll get out of it. And I want to go back and look at the very first baptism. Now, what he says is that the nation of Israel was baptized in the, in the crossing of the Red Sea. They were baptized in the cloud that came over them and, and, and in the crossing of the Red Sea. So uh, we're going to get into it, and we're going to spend a, a fair bit of time today in Exodus talking about that, that original baptism. Because in the Bible, where the very first time you see something, that's what sets the tone for what you see in the rest of the Bible. Cool? All right. So um, 
a little bit of history in case, uh, in case you just walked in because you smelled the coffee, right? A um, little bit of history here. So uh, God calls Abraham where he was in Ur of the Chaldees. You ever, you ever wonder where Ur of the Chaldees was? Think Baghdad. Okay, so think modern-day Iraq, roughly around there. And he says, hey, I want you to go out east, or west in this case. I want you to go out west, and I want you to go over to the land of Canaan. Land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, Jordan, Libya, Syria, in that area, right? And he says, that's going to be the promised land. I'm going to give that land to you as an inheritance, right? So that's Abraham's life, goes out and does that. Isaac's life, goes, he's still in that area. Jacob's life, still in that area. Jacob had 12 sons and a lot of kids. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob's 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. Anybody go, ooh, I didn't know that? Uh, okay, cool. All right, all right. His son, and so, one of his sons is Joseph. There's a famine. They go down into Egypt. Why did they go down into Egypt? Because at the time, Egypt was the preeminent empire in the world. That would be like, uh, like in, the 18, in, the, in the late 1800s in the potato famine in Ireland. Where did everybody come? America, right? Right, that's how half, my, I'm half Croatian, half Irish, right? The, my, my, my mom's side of the family got here was during the potato famine. They came over here, right? And, uh, and it would be the same thing. They went to Egypt because Egypt was the empire. Egypt was the southern, effectively southern empire, at the axis of the world. The northern empires traded between the Assyrians and the, and the, and the Babylonians and, and some other empires up there. But, but down south, because of access to waterways, access to Africa, access to minerals and, some, and gold and stuff like that, that was Egypt. And so, so Abraham sends his kid, uh, God sends one of Abraham's kids, Abraham didn't uh, send it, uh, God sends one of Jacob's kids down into Egypt, and, and there's a famine, and he says, come on down here. They find favor with Pharaoh, and uh, they settle right outside of town uh, in, in a town called Goshen, which is right outside of town, kind of like our Goshen is right outside of town, right? Then the Egyptians say, you know, there's a lot of these guys, and we could really put them to good use, and they enslave them. And for 400 years, they were enslaved. Do you know that God told Abraham that that was going to happen? He said, your descendants are going to go down into Egypt. They'll be slaves for 400 years, and I'm going to bring them out. Huh. So, um, God makes this promise to Abraham. Generations, a couple generations later, they find themselves slaves in Egypt. They're slaves for 400 years. That's longer than our country's been a country. Long enough for them to think like slaves. Long enough for them to, to, to act like slaves. Long enough to identify as slaves. One of those slaves is born. His name is Moses. <clears throat> long story how Moses winds up being the, uh, step, or the, the adopted son of the, uh, of the princess of Egypt. right? <clears throat> and uh, he tries to free uh, the slaves on his own. Doesn't work out so well. He winds up getting booted. Long story, if you ever saw Charlton Heston, if you're my age, you grew up doing this, right? Right, if you're my age, you grew up watching, right, every year. There weren't VCRs, you had to wait till it was on, on TV. And so, and, so, and, so, and so he's there, and he comes back, and God says, I'm going to free the slaves, and I'm going to use you, Moses, to do it. Ten plagues later, they're coming out. That's Exodus. Everybody with me so far? Yes. All right. It's a really cool story. Um, Actually happen, need to understand a couple of things as we look at this. Number one, Egypt represents sin. Israel represents the promised covenant people. That would be the church or individually you and me. 
Moses wasn't Jesus Christ, but Moses represents Christ. Actual story really happened, but the reason why God ordered it like this, and the reason why Paul is teaching it like this and saying it like this, is because that's what it looks like, right? Egypt, sin, Israel, you and me, Jesus, Moses, he brings them out. Cool? Now we start in Exodus. Ten plagues. Did you guys know that each of those ten plagues were designed to destroy one of the main gods of Egypt? I mean, it wasn't just, hey, let's do some random things. It wasn't like God was sitting up there with a whiteboard like, hmm, what could we do? Oh, we could do, uh, we could do flies and we could do frogs. Yeah, those things are cool. No, he wasn't doing that. What he was doing was actually systematically destroying each one of Egypt's gods. Like, for example, Ra, the sun god, they believe that Pharaoh was the, uh, the incarnation of the sun god, right? And so the darkness over the land was to prove to everyone that that wasn't God, that he was God. Cool? That's the reason why when you read Exodus, you find it wasn't just the Israelites who went out. There was what they called a mixed multitude. There was a bunch of people living in Egypt that were like, yeah, they're God, and I'm going with them. I'm going with them because God's with them, and he isn't, this, isn't, this isn't it. And so there's a whole bunch of people that left. Somewhere between 2 and 5 million people is the estimate. A lot of people. So it says here, it came to pass that when Pharaoh had let people go, that he did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, though it was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the sea. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and you will carry my bones with you. Joseph was the son of Jacob who went down into Egypt first. He says, so then they took their journey from Succoth and camped by Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to, as to go by day and night. God, God's actual visible presence was with them. This entire group of people moving had a cloud over them to keep them from, from, from the sun's rays and from being burned during the day. And at night, it turned into a pillar of fire to light, to light them so they could see that God was with them. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of uh, fire by night from before his people. So the Lord spoke to Moses and said, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before, and I'm going to kill this word because I've I, I practiced it a billion times, before Pi-Haharoth, and between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zaphon, and you shall camp before the sea. Now there's a lot of things in there, and we can just pass right over it in order to, in order to stick with the narrative, but I think that the narrative and the place are really important, so I have maps. Cool. All right, so can we put these up there? The, the first map? Okay, so the first map, I just got this off of Google Maps, right? First map is kind of the, the, the eastern Mediterranean and the, and the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And, and for all of us Eurocentric people who failed geography, I pulled out far enough so that you can see up in the upper left-hand side, there's a, the, the boot of Italy, right? If you don't know where the Mediterranean Sea is, right? That's, that's the boot of Italy. And so it kind of comes across. That's the Mediterranean there. And the, and the, the, the easternmost coast of the Mediterranean, where it says Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, that's, that's where modern-day Israel is, and that would, would have been Canaan, and then you see that big thing there that says Egypt? That's Egypt, right? And then down, oh, and then down here is the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. Now, you see that body of water that goes between, on the, on the west of Saudi Arabia and east of Egypt, that's the Red Sea. That's not all of the Red Sea. The Red Sea goes all the way down, uh, down the, the, the western coast of, um, 
down, well, that's most of the Red Sea. It goes down there, down through Djibouti, and, and around, right? And, and Ethiopia is down on the little horn over there, and that's where all the pirates are today. Okay, you guys got that? All right, so I'm going to take, and I'm going I'm to zoom in, because when he said they crossed the Red Sea, they didn't cross the Red, they didn't go all the way down Sudan and Eritrea and cross the Red Sea over there. That would have been dumb, right? So what he did was, let's, let's focus in on, on this section of Egypt. Okay, everybody see that? Okay, so what this is, is this little V-shaped thing, that's called the Sinai Peninsula. Anybody remember the 1967 war, that kind of, okay, okay, the Sinai Peninsula there. So these are the two upper forks, that V-shaped thing, those are the two upper forks of the Red Sea. To the west, that would be uh, the, the Gulf of Oman, and to the, to the east would be the Gulf of Aqaba. So this northern part, that little green thing there, right, that's where Mike Lindell gets all his cotton for his sheets, right, that's, that's happening there. And then, and then you've got the, then you've got the rest of Egypt over there in the, in the Sinai Peninsula. So the green part, that's the Nile River going in there, and that's the Nile River Basin. That's where uh, Memphis and modern-day Cairo would be, and that's and to the upper right of that would have been where Goshen was. Cool. Now you notice that Israel is not near the Red Sea on that side. It's near down on the Gulf of Aqaba. It goes down there, but between Egypt. And Israel, if you were to get out of, out of jail, if you were to get out of slavery, and God told you, hey, I'm bringing you to the promised land, which is over there, which direction would you have gone? Yeah, like in a straight line, like a not idiotic way, right? You would have gone in a straight line. As a matter of fact, and again, this is, this is from today, this is modern day, just pull this out of, off of maps. You can see that there's a highway up there. It's actually Highway 40 that, that runs along the coast. Do you know why that, that, that road is there? Because it's always been there. Even during the Egyptian Empire, 2,000 years before Christ, there was a highway there. It was called the King's Highway. Of course, they called it the, 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 uh, the Road of Hor, Horus, their, their god. Uh, but it was also it was called the King's Highway. And here's the reason why. Because remember that big picture, right? You had Africa over here. Egypt is right there at the end of a river, trading, cotton, power. They were the main empire. And when you wanted to trade with the rest of the world over here, you didn't go across the desert. So they had a road. It was called the King's Highway, and they had a road, and they, that was the way that you would go. Now, listen to what God says. This is really important. He says, where am I here? Oh, he says, he did not lead them by the land of the Philistines. He did not lead them by that, that way. He says, he did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He goes, if it's easy to get out, it'll be easy to get back. Because when you're pulled out of Egypt, when you still think like a slave, when you still have that mentality inside of you, and you start to go over here and you go, oh, we're free, and all of a sudden it gets hard and difficult. Because if you think the Philistines and the Canaanites were nothing, they weren't. They were on the major trade route in the world at the time. So it was a major metropolitan city. That's what was happening up there. So there was armies, and there was people, and there was riches, and there was wealth. And here come these people that were enslaved. And when they get there, they're like, you can't come here. There will be war. And they were like, it would be too easy for, me to, for him to go back. Does this sound like you and sin maybe? Too easy to go back. 
So he goes, so what I want you to do is to go, and instead of going straight, I want you to bang a right and go down the Sinai Peninsula. And so, uh, so let's pull up this next slide here. This is the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. Okay, cool. This is the bottom. And, and I changed this so it's a relief map, so, so you can see the depth of the ocean there, and you can see that there's mountains there. And there's this big wide plain on the western side. Succoth is up over that way. Migdal is actually a, uh, the tallest mountain at the end of that. It would be a lookout mountain, right? And uh, Pi-Hahareth is, is that little town over there. And Etham is up over there. Now, what do you see about Etham up there? You see the mountains, how it's like this big, wide plain, and you can come down, and you can bang a, bang a left and start going north again, and then you get up to the, just north of Ethan. Does anybody see that up there? You see how the mountains run right into the ocean on that side, on the Gulf of Aqaba? It's called a dead end. Now, you could get through there. There would be footpaths, kind of single-track footpaths up through there. But if you've got three to five million people, two to five million people, it's going to take you like a month and a half to stage those people through a single-track trail. You're stuck. You're stuck. God said, I want you to go down there, go up to Etham. Actually, I want you to come back down by Pi-Hahareth, across from Baal Zephon. Baal Zephon is, as the modern day name of it is Tehran Island. And Tehran Island is that island. And you can see that. Now, Tehran Island sits in the, that's the, the squeezed in coast. Over on this right-hand side over here, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's Arabia. That's land. So this is squeezed in area right here. And that right there, the island of Tehran, used to be called Baal Zephon has about a 3,000-foot mountain on it. So you can see it really well. Now, let me give you some ideas about what we're looking at here. Um, how many people have been to the beach here in Connecticut? You can see Long Island? Okay. How far across is Long Island from here? How far across is Long Island Sound? How, how long? Far? Depends where you are, right? Like, if you're all the way down towards New York, it's just a bridge, right? If you're all the way out, it could be like as much as 17 miles, right? But generally speaking, if you're down in Bridgeport, say, and you're taking the Port Jeff Ferry, it's about 11 miles across, right? About 11 miles. Can you see Long Island? Especially like that power plant is over there. They see the smokestack standing up. Okay, so what would happen if you were looking out and it was, it was that distance over there? Because the distance between the point of land on the Sinai Peninsula and Arabia over on the right. That's, that's nine miles, so Baal Zephon's only a few miles off the coast. It's got a 3,000-foot mountain on it. It, looks really, it could look really close. You can see the whole thing from there. So he says, that's where I want you to camp. Now, what I want you to see is what happens next is remember Pi-Hahareth, right? Because come down here, there's your spot, right? Okay, so let's take a look. Pharaoh will say to the king, so he says, I want you to do this. Speak to the children of Israel and turn and ca- that they camp before Pihahareth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite of Baal Zephon. You shall camp there by the sea. Not because God made a mistake. He says, because Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, these guys are stupid. They are bewildered by the land. Then the wilderness has closed them in. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. You see, he, the Israelites thought that they were delivered, but God wanted to make sure that it was finalized. 
Now it was told to the king of Egypt that the people had fled. The heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we let Israel go from serving us. And, and so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of, the king of, the, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. But the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and the, and the, ferrets, the, the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them in camping by the sea of Pihaherath before Baal-Zephon. And Pharaoh drew near. The children of Israel lifted up their eyes. What he did was he parked down at the bottom and trapped them between the mountains and the turning point. And of course, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and they're like, oh God, you are so faithful. You have been good to us and we trust you with our lives and we know that you will deliver us, right? No, no, they whined and complained. Like, like not a lot's changed in life, has it? Right? Instead of, instead of chariots, we have tanks, but we still have people that have a hard time believing God. And maybe you've had a hard time believing God. And maybe it's simply because, because sin has seemed so powerful in your life. Just like Egypt seems so powerful in their life. Maybe you've actually been set free, but you still think like a slave. Children of Israel lifted up their eyes and the, and, and the Egyptians marched on them and they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to them, because we have no graves, there were no graves in Egypt. Have you taken us out to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us so to bring us out of Egypt? Is, is this not the word that we were told in Egypt saying, let us alone? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than when we should die in the wilderness. <clears throat> and Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't run around. Don't try to solve this on your own. Don't try to form an army to fight back against them. Don't do anything else. Don't do anything in your own power. I want us to hear this as modern day people coming out of of slavery, the slavery to sin. He says, don't do anything. Simply stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. For the Lord will fight for you, and you hold your peace. Now, Moses then cried to God, and God said, why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Well, what do you mean tell the children of Israel to go forward? If we were standing on the beach right outside, let's say, let's say, Lordship in Stratford, and I said, see Long Island? Let's walk. What do you mean go forward? Does anybody know how, how deep uh, Long Island Sound is right, right about that area? I mean, at its deepest points, it can be up to 250 feet. But at that area, there's some spots that go over 100 feet deep. But on average, it's about 75, 80 feet. I looked at the maps, about 75, 80 feet of water. Anybody up for walking across that? That straight over there, the Straits of Tehran, instead of 11 miles, where Long Island Sound is, is 11 miles, it's 9 miles. But instead of about 75 feet, it's about 155 feet deep. Actually, once you go over, say, 6 feet, it doesn't matter how deep it is, right? <laughs> you're, 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 you're either not, you know, like, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not even, like, taking a kayak out in Long Island Sound and paddling off to, uh, uh, off to um, Long Island. I'm, I'm just not that kind of guy, Right? And he says, walk. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea, and I will indeed harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall follow them. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his armies, his chariots, his horsemen. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh and his chariots and horsemen. Let's throw up this last slide here. That's the direction that they took. Now, the, the, the line might not be exact, but that's the direction that they took. And if you notice in the shallowness of the, where the water is shallow, there's a little land bridge there. Uh, granted, it's 155 feet below water, but there's a little bit of a, of, of a shallow spot there. And they would, have walked pa- they would have walked that way. Now, here's the one thing I want you to see that's really important. Baal Zephon. Does anybody know what that means? I didn't. But anybody see the first word, Baal? Sound familiar? Okay, if, if you've read anything of the Old Testament, you know that, the, that Baal was the name of the gods of the Canaanites and the Philistines and the land where they were going. Baal Zephon literally means God of the north or God of the storms and seas. So the God of, of, of the deep waters, of the seas that will kill you, he's the God of that. He was the, he was the guardian to that area of the uh, of, of the Red Sea, and therefore the splitting from the Sinai Peninsula to the land of Canaan was the gods. Now, Baal Zephon was actually worshipped as a minor god in Egypt, but he was the god, Baal was the god in uh, the land of Canaan. So here's the problem. The nation of Israel is being taken out of Egypt, where they worshipped all these gods, and they're being brought into another area where they're saying, no, no, okay, the reason, why, the reason why you're able to get out of Egypt is because they weren't really as powerful as our god, Baal. And so they needed not only just power and strength to, 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 be, to, to come out, they didn't see, need to just see God's faithfulness to bring them out of where they had been. They needed to see God's power and strength to see them through to where they were going. Because I don't know about you, but just because I became a Christian, everything didn't just start being suns, sunflowers and roses. Right? It all, as a matter of fact, in some, for some people, it actually gets worse. Feels worse. Circumstances feel worse. Right? I had all the problems I had before. Like if I had credit card debt before I became a Christian, I probably have credit card debt now. Right? If I was overweight and had bad eating habits and, and, and soft food as comfort before, I'd probably have to unwind that because that's how I see it now. That's me, by the way. If I, if, if I, had, if I had powerful enemies trying to destroy my soul before I was a Christian, do you not think I have powerful enemies trying to destroy my soul after I'm a Christian? I need to understand that God's faithfulness and his, and his power is good for me, not just to get me out of sin initially, but to walk with me throughout all of my life until I see him face to face. And Baal Zephon is sitting right there as the gateway. And God says, huh, I'm going to have you walk right past him as if he doesn't even matter. When the children of Israel walked across that sea, what happened is that whole nation walked across that sea right there. And the armies of Egypt were coming to take them and put them back in slavery. And Baal Zephon was saying, just you try it. And they walked right past them and didn't even give him a nod. 
The angel of the Lord went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood between them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. There was a cloud of darkness to the one, but gave light to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. That must have been a pretty strong east wind to divide the ocean. You know, it's really funny. There have been people, I've talked about this miracle, and there have been people who upper, uh, higher textual criticism and things like that, and, and they'll say, oh, <laughs> you, know, you know, modern people know that this, the Red Sea is also called the Sea of Reeds. And that's true. As you get way up north, uh, it becomes a marshy, uh, marshy reed land. And then it's also called the Sea of Reeds. It's clear that what happened was, is there was a storm, and, and it suppressed the, uh, the, the tides, and the children of Israel walked through the marshland in about, uh, you know, like one to two feet of water. They just kind of walked across, and that, that's clearly what it was. This is just more about the moral of the story. It's not an actual historical record, you know. You know what my response has been when that happens? I go, Oh my goodness, that's an even more amazing miracle. That's it. Do you mean they just walked across on like one foot of on one foot of water through a marshland? Well, because you know what happens next, right? Because we're about to watch the destruction of the most powerful army in the history of the world. You mean to tell me that all the chariots and all the men and this hardened army drowned in a foot of water? That's amazing. Or you're just kind of full of yourself. And you can't believe that there's such a thing as a miracle. It came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians. Well, actually, let me back up. It says here, Moses stretched out his hand. The Lord caused it to go back by a strong east wind. And the sea became dry land. And the waters were divided. It says specifically what happened. So the children of Israel went into the middle of the sea on dry ground. The waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. And as they're walking, on the right hand there's a wall, of, on the left hand there's a wall of water, on the right hand there's a wall of water, and there is a 3,000 foot mountain sticking out there on an island. Owed to the, the God that they're, that they're going past and they're going to. He says, and there was a wall of water on the right hand and the left, but the Egyptians, crazy as they were, pursued and went after them in the middle of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels, he drove them with difficulties, and he made it so that finally the Egyptians got scared, and they said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So they tried to turn around and go back. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea when the morning appeared and the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of the Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked through on dry land in the midst of the sea. The waters were a wall to them on the right hand and the left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw Egyptians dead on the seashore. The thing that had come after you, now dead, floating around on the seashore. 
Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord, that means they respected him, and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then Moses, Moses sang. I said, what, should, what is the significance of it? The significance of it is that God says, I will deliver Israel from the power of Egypt, even if I have to suspend the laws of nature to do so. God says to us today, I will bring you out of the slavery of sin. I will bring you out from the power of sin. And if it comes to chase you down and drag you back, if I need to suspend the laws of nature to get you out, I'll make it happen. And Moses sang. And we're going to read Moses' song. And my gift to you is that I'm not going to sing Moses' song. This is actually a song, right, Pastor Susan? The first part of this is a song. Uh, an old song. I'm old enough to say this is an old song. This is an old song. It says this. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. God is not some namby-pamby dude walking around in Birkenstocks saying that, oh, you know, it's okay, it's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, everyone's okay. No, it says here, it says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are all drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. I think Moses added that. That was kind of cool. Um, Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you've overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath and consumed them like stubble. With a blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be satisfied on them. I will draw the sword. And my hand will destroy them. But you blew your wind. The sea covered them. They, the sea, this, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods? Who is glorious in holiness? He's talking about the past. Fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength in your holy hab- to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. What does he now just do? He shifts to the future. And he says, now where we are headed. We didn't take the shortcut. We took the long way. We've seen the power of God. And now we have the power to face what's ahead of us. He says, fear Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling, Moab trembling, will take hold of them. And the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away, which is exactly what happened, by the way. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, there will be still a stone till you pass, your people pass over, Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. So they were delivered and they showed thankfulness and they were empowered by God to move forward. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything here. What happens is they saw that they were redeemed. By the power of God. We need to see that we've been redeemed by the power of God. They saw that they were moving forward into a land 
that they were promised and that because God had promised them and he had promised Abraham an inheritance, he would give it. That is the significance of baptism. I want to take a few minutes and talk about our attitude towards baptism, and it's simply this. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed with this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Our attitude towards towards uh, uh, baptism should be this, one of faith. Because in the same way that, that the nation of Israel stood on there and they needed to see that God, they needed to trust God. And then when he said move forward, they needed to move forward. They couldn't see the other side. They needed to move forward into the waters in obedience. And at the other side, they expressed gratitude. Us, we need to look at it in faith. Do we believe that Jesus Christ has died in our place? Do I believe that he hung on the cross in my place? That I should have been there, but he hung there instead. And did that as a substitutionary sacrifice so that I could be set free from the power of sin in my life. Then in gratitude, I need to come to the waters of baptism because he said to do it and obey. Simple as that. If I love him, I will obey. It's interesting when it says here, he says to present your bodies as, as, as a living sacrifice. What the, the tense of that verb there is to do that on a continual basis. To say, here I am, write a blank check for my life, and every day of my life I'm going to present myself to you, God. But then he talks about the inheritance of baptism, and I want you to see this. In Romans chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Well, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death? This is the reason why uh, we do baptism. When, you're, when you step into the waters of baptism, you're saying, I'm identifying with his death, that his death covers me. When we put you underwater, and we'll put you underwater the whole way, um, you're identifying with his death. And when you come up out of the water, you're identifying with his resurrection. That's what we'll do. We'll put you under the water, and unless you're snarky, we won't hold you under there, um, and pull you back up. Uh, I've only ever bumped one guy's head. It was his fault. He was really tall. So bad. He kind of floated as we did it and kind of whacked his head. He was fine after a couple of days. Um, He says, as many of us who were baptized were baptized into his death. But if we're baptized into his death, therefore buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in his likeness of death, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, the old person, Egypt, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that the power of sin in your life might be cut off. So that you no longer have to sin. Drive a stake in the ground and say, I don't have to do that anymore. Sin has no more power over me. He who has died has been freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more because death has no, no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, also, you reckon yourselves, 
Count yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ our Lord. And do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourself. In this case, present yourself as a one-time settled issue. That's the way that that word present would read in the, in, in the tense in the Greek. He says, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your instruments as righteousness uh, as member, as in, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but under grace. And there we see that baptism becomes me making a public claim on God's promises. That promise right there, newness of life, freedom from sin, living with him, resurrected with him. I make a public claim on that promise. And don't you think God sees that? Don't you think he makes a public claim on me as well? We take the name of Christ. Don't you think that he understands that? He says, I have carved your name into the palm of my hand. He knows your name. He says, when we identify with him, we're crucified with him, we're buried with him, we're resurrected with him, we live with him, and we will actually be seated with him. Because here's the thing, is the inheritance of baptism is this. The Spirit himself, Romans 8 says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, you're in God's will. If you're a Christian, you're like, you're in his will. You're a joint heir with Christ. That doesn't mean you're Jesus Christ. Let's not get carried away. But it does mean that you're a joint heir with Christ, and you share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. For if indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. So that when God wants to show his promises... He says, take a look at the Sinai Peninsula and look at the land and look at where I did this thing where I delivered like millions of people walked across this and I destroyed the most powerful uh, empire in the world at the time to deliver a people who saw themselves as slaves and who hadn't done anything special. I chose Abraham. Abraham, believe me, I made a promise to Abraham and I'm delivering these people out. And you know they they weren't special because what did they continue to do? complain and, and be right and it took them a while to kind of get get it all together before they could ever go across the, the Jordan into the promised land and even then there were still problems and yet God stayed faithful to them the same way that when we go kind of rumbling bumbling stumbling into our Christian life God still stays faithful to us because we're no longer under the law we're no longer under performance mindset that says oh well you can't pray today until you get your life right God won't hear you That's not true. He says you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. And if you believe that once for all that Jesus Christ presented himself as a substitute for sin, and that you then once for all presented yourself as a person who identifies with that and says, yes, thank you, and you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then baptism is simply the public signal of what you've already done in your life. So drive a stake in the ground and announce to him that you're you're taking him at his word. And you become an heir to the benefits of it. Last scripture. I say that, but it's really long. It's almost an entire chapter. Okay, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to, listen to what Paul is, is, is saying to, to, the, to the church in Ephesus. He's saying, therefore, also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you or mention you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, that you may understand who he is. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory and of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? He'd split a sea to rescue people. What would he do for you? Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and working in you if you have claimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That same power. Listen to what it says here. It says, the exceeding greatness of power towards us, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body and the fullness of, of him who fills all in all. And you... See, he transitions right from that. He goes, this is who Jesus is. Remember, we're co-heirs with Christ. He goes, and you, he's made alive who are dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now lives in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like others. But God... God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when you were dead in trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and he made us sit together. Do you hear that? That's your inheritance. He makes you alive with him. He raises you up with him. He makes us sit together in heavenly places. Now you might not be sitting there right now thinking, I don't feel like I'm alive in heavenly places with Jesus right now. But I want to tell you that that this is a promise and every promise in the Bible has both the near and the future fulfillment. And the near fulfillment is the positional fulfillment. Whether you feel like it or not, walk across the sea. Whether you feel like it or not, Whether you feel like the waters are going to close in on you, it doesn't matter. Whether you're trembling and mumbling and bumbling and stumbling, if you move forward, do it because positionally you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And one day, you will actually be seated with Christ in heavenly places. But positionally, you are right now. Either that or God's a liar. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his greatness and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you think it hasn't, I want to put it out to you right now. Maybe you think... That the way you've taken has not been the easy way out of sin. Maybe you're thinking, he brought me out of sin, but there seems to there should have been an easier way to get to where I was, to get to fulfillment, to get to wholeness, to get to wellness, to get to, to going forward. And God says, you know what? I might have a different plan. Just like I told them to bang a right and go down the Sinai Peninsula, maybe I've got something greater to show you. 
So maybe today you're sitting here and you're struggling with your Christianity. I would say look back. If you haven't been baptized, you need to drive a stake in the ground. If you have been baptized, you need to look back to that and go, what is God going to do next? So maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like your former life is just coming after you to drag you back into slavery. You feel like you could never get free from it. Then we need to look to the waters of baptism and the claim that we put on God at that moment and say, have I really been freed? And the answer is yes, you have. Because if you've been born again, the power of sin has been cut in your life. Maybe you're on this side and maybe you're saying, I'm actually doubting that God has given me the power for what lies ahead. I see my circumstances now, and I see the next decade, two, three, four decades of that, and I don't know that I can do it. We need to look to the fact that God has done something miraculous on the cross, and when we do that and we identify with him, he empowers us, and it is his very power inside of us that moves us forward and that keeps us close to him. Let's pray. We're going to pray twice today, and the very first... People, I, I want us, the very first thing I want us to do is that if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to be free from the power of sin, we're going to pray. And when you pray uh, and you put your trust in him, he will free you from the power of your sin. If you're here today and, um, and we're praying, I'd actually ask you to reaffirm your faith in Christ along with us and, uh, and, and do that in a way that sets something in your mind as a stake in the ground. Let's pray. Say, dear God, you know that I'm a sinner, and I can't change that on my own. But I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on the cross in my place. I believe Jesus rose from the dead so that I could be forgiven. So please forgive me. And all that I am and all I ever will be, I surrender to you now. Thank you for saving me. But Lord, I just ask right now that you would take our hearts and minds and set them on your faithfulness and power. That if there's, if there's anyone here who hasn't been baptized and hasn't made that claim on you, that you would give them the boldness to be able to step forward in obedience and faith and gratitude. If there's anyone here who's, who's maybe been struggling and forgetting your faithfulness and power that you would cause us to to look back to when we were baptized and to see the glorious things that you've done in our life since then and how you've delivered us and the faithfulness that you've shown us in Jesus name. Amen.